the world of Islam, culture, religion, and politics. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Amin Tais. We continue today discussing important theological debates in early Islam and a central issue that shaped Islam for centuries to come was the one known as Khalq al-Qur'an, the creation of the Qur'an. The debate was about whether the Qur'an was created by God, makhluq, or muhdath, or whether as the speech of God, it was eternal with God, qadim, ghair makhluq. The difference in the Arabic terms I just mentioned signal that the debate had many layers and that it spanned a, a significant period of time during which the debate took many turns. I will limit myself here to present a basic picture of the debated issue for the sake of brevity and accessibility. But before I discuss what the debate entailed in tangible terms, I would like to establish a number of contextual elements. One must be aware that by the late Umayyad period, and certainly in the early Abbasid period, there is a growing translation movement of philosophical works from the Greek tradition, mostly through Syriac versions of those works. And I remind you here that Syriac, which is a Semitic language, was the lingua franca, the dominant language of the Near East in the Byzantine areas on the eve of the rise of the Arabs as a new powerful force in the region. There was also a movement of translation of Persian works to Arabic, particularly political works that dealt with the way to run an empire. Remember that the Persians had a long and sophisticated tradition of running successful empires. The translation movement, as well as the encounter with established communities of Christians, Zoroastrians, Manichaeans, and Jews created a very fertile environment for Muslims to ponder their own theological questions. Here, I would like to stress uh, a vital point. It is a monumental mistake to think that Muslims were simply copying what was before them. Such a distorted view does not recognize that the advent of the Qur'an had created a revolution in the production of meaning in the world of those who adhered to its teachings. But at the same time, Muslims were developing their theological views in an environment pregnant with sophisticated ideas of earlier nations. Muslims were the inheritors of philosophical, theological, and political traditions that shaped how they interpreted the Qur'an 
and how they defined their communities. Importantly, Muslims were on the field of Christian theologians and, to a lesser extent, Jewish rabbis. And it was in direct and indirect discussion with them that they, meaning Muslims, formulated their religious views. Another point is that with the rise of the Abbasids in 750, there also came a need for them to distinguish themselves from their predecessors, the Umayyads. And there arose a need to establish a regime that is lasting and successful uh, with a socio-political organization that is characterized by stability. So, uh, these three contextual elements, namely the uh, translation movement, the presence of established religious communities uh, whose sophisticated ideas were challenging to Muslims, and uh, the necessity of a stable political system with a sound organization with the rise of the Apostles to power. Uh, so these three elements are to be kept in mind as we discuss the theological issues of Khalq al-Qur'an, whether the Qur'an was created or uncreated. In a basic sense, at the risk of oversimplification here again, this debate was over the issue of God's speech and also extended to other attributes of God. Is God's speech, God's word, the Quran, eternal with God or was it an act of God created by God? This might seem to be a rather odd debate to modern ears, but uh, it actually led to serious disagreements. If the word of God, as an attribute of God, was eternal with God, doesn't that threaten God's oneness, a central tenet of Islam? Don't we have here more than one eternal being? For some Muslims, uh, this uh, comes dangerously close to the Orthodox Christian notion of Christ as the Word of God, eternal with God. The Muslim theologians, particularly the Mu'tazilites in the 10th century, the 900s, were keenly aware of this danger. They were in fact engaged in polemics against Christians who had much more experience dealing with theological questions as I had explained in the early episodes of this podcast uh, on the issues surrounding the nature of Christ. So the so-called Mu'tazilite theologians insisted on the createdness of the Qur'an, that it was a speech of God created by God. It's understandable that the opponents of the Mu'tazilites uh, might have seen a huge threat in such a position because it seems to demote the Qur'an to the level of other created things, thus threatening its divine status. The implication or the implications of this debate for the interpretation of the Qur'an are highly significant. For 
the Mu'tazilites, who, as we have seen in the last episode, insisted on God's justice and human free will, if the Qur'an is eternal with God, it means that what is included therein is prior to the events of the Prophet's life that the Qur'an addresses. Which also means that human free will and consequently God's justice are threatened. But for the traditionist opponents of the rationalist Mu'tazilites, any challenge to the eternal character of the Qur'an is also a threat to the primacy of the Qur'an as a guiding legal force in the life of the community. We see here the frame of a real competition between theological approaches on one hand and legal approaches on the other for the definition of Islam as a religious tradition. This, of course, did not escape the eyes of the Abbasid rulers. Here, a word must be said about the path of political organization that uh, seemingly became part of the Abbasid program. Historians have noted the centrality of the Persian political frame inherited from the recently collapsed Persian Sassanid Empire that was discussed in the early episodes of this podcast. The Persian rulers had established a system around what was called the circle of justice, through which the ruler maintains political stability. The circle is based on a hierarchy of social classes. In the circle are connected the roles of the rulers, the military, the tax collectors, and the agricultural classes in a way that makes them interdependent and leads to stability. The king rules as the shadow of God on earth, and he seeks to maintain the circle of justice. Without going to too many details, we must highlight that under the astute advice of Persian advisors, like the brilliant Ibn al-Muqaffa, who dies in 759, whose original name was Ruzbey Purdaduye, uh, who also is the translator of the famed Kalila Wadimna, uh, an originally Indian uh, collection of animal fables. He translated it from Middle Persian to Arabic. So under the advice of Persian advisors like Ibn al-Muqaffa, the Abbasid rulers indeed established themselves as kings that combined Islamic and pre-Islamic Persian elements. This can be seen in the Abbasid caliph names that were magnanimous as well as in the elaborate court rules that they enforced and even in the building of Baghdad in 762 by Caliph al-Mansur, who uh, dies in 775. Uh, Baghdad was established not too far from the former Sassanid capital of Tesiphon, uh, with a structure that put the palace in the middle of the city with circles of other social classes surrounding it in an organized fashion. 
What matters to us for our discussion today is that in uh, trying to establish the rule, the Abbasid Caliphs came to quickly realize that the rationalist theologians, the Mu'tazilites' insistence on the creation of the Qur'an was more useful in their attempt to have enough freedom in their establishment of a particular social and legal order. Therefore, by uh, the time of the end of the rule of uh, Caliph al-Ma'mun, who died in 833, the Abbasids attempted to impose the Mu'tazilite doctrine of Khalq al-Qur'an, that the Qur'an was indeed created in history. So late in his reign, al-Ma'mun established what came to be known as al-Mihna, a sort of inquisition in which all religious scholars were called upon to publicly accept the doctrine of a created Qur'an or else face persecution. Most scholars are reported to have submitted to the Mihna. There were notable exceptions and a particular one uh, became a heroic figure in the eyes of later Orthodox Sunni Muslims. He's a man by the name of Ahmed ibn Hanbal who dies in 855. Uh, Ahmed ibn Hanbal whose name would uh, later be tied to one of the four Orthodox Sunni schools of law. This was the Hanbali school of law. Ibn Hanbal was reported to have been persecuted but to have refused to accept the created Quran doctrine. The Mihna would continue under the rule of Al-Ma'mun's successors, Al-Mu'tasim and Al-Wathiq, but probably a couple of years into Al-Mutawakkil's rule, the Mihna was reversed. We are around the year 850 or so. So Ibn Hanbal himself witnessed the reversal of the doctrine to the relief of large segments of the population of Baghdad. For it must be noted that in the context of the time, the rationalist theologians remained an elite and their doctrines and systematic theology or kalam in Arabic uh, remained disconnected from the average populations. By contrast, Ibn Hanbal's teachings and even the teachings of those scholars who were less strict uh, then Ibn Hanbal remained accessible to the street, if I may express myself in this way. With the overturning of the doctrine of the created Qur'an, I would argue that Islam entered a new stage in which Sunnism would slowly develop as a sort of middle ground between the rationalists on one hand and the traditionalists on the other, uh, but rather clearly tilted toward the traditionalist camp. One could also say that in the competition between the jurists al-fuqaha and the theologians al-mutakallimun, the jurists had won the upper hand in defining Islam and the theologians had to adapt to the forming orthodoxy in order to survive and also to have a say 
in the shaping of this forming orthodoxy. Importantly, by the time we get to the early 11th century, the 1000s, the Mu'tazila were on the way out, as highlighted by the Abbasid Caliph Al-Qadir's imposition of his Al-Aqidah Al-Qadiriyah, the Qadiri creed which dictated that anyone who espoused Mu'tazili doctrines was liable to be executed. Mu'tazilism would slowly fade away, but some of its ideas will continue under different forms. And in the next episode, we will try to introduce you in a uh, better way to the theological schools of the Mu'tazilites, Al-Mu'tazila, as well as to the uh, Ash'arites, Al-Ash'a'ira, uh, that would become the dominant theological school of Sunnism for centuries to come. Thank you for listening. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you.